members of our church, and we will hopefully call them to greater faithfulness this morning. We'll call you to greater faithfulness. So, I'm going to preach kind of from the text, but in a broader sense. So, there's a verse I'm going to read to us, verses 8 and 9 of Proverbs chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And then I'm going to skip ahead to verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, and in the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. How long, O simple ones? Will you leave love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Father, we pray that your word would be helpful to us this morning and that you would help us to have uh, faithful hearts that please you. In Jesus' good name, amen. So, Mother's Day comes but once a year. And if you don't remember, we do. We were supposed to be here Mother's Day two years ago when the church first reopened. It was the first Sunday after the shutdown, but we weren't because Sarah had just miscarried a couple of days previous, and we did not come on Mother's Day. And yesterday we drove up to Bloomington where our child is laid in the graveyard at Trinity Reformed, and we read scripture and prayed, and the kids made what was called imprints of the headstone. And we were again reminded that every day now, every year, for the rest of our lives, very near Mother's Day, and today it actually is Mother's Day, we will be reminded of the death of Hope John Helt, who we never met and do not know if he was a boy or a girl. And just the difficulty of that. Just the strain of that for the next however many years God gives us. That every single year on Mother's Day or thereabouts, we will be reminded that there is one child that we will not meet this side of eternity. And so as I was preparing the sermon this week, thinking about motherhood, thinking about what it is, trying to find a way to be encouraging but not to just be... uh, What's it called? Patronizing. Just pat you on the back and send you on your way. Good little women. Uh, I thought of this, that 
There is a, a part of motherhood, and the reason it's so painful to lose a child, that is much bigger than just birthing a child. It is not really even the beginning of motherhood, and it is definitely not the end of motherhood to birth a child. But the brokenness that we have in our family is due to the fact that my wife will not get to be an actual mother to that child like she will be to our other children. She doesn't get to experience that. She doesn't get to deal with another child and all the sins and entanglements that another child brings to the family. And as our children age, we realize they're all different in their sins and all different in their strengths. And they all need to be taught. And that really is the essence of good mothering. Um, In verse 8 of Proverbs, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. It says a very similar thing in chapter 6 of Proverbs. And if you go back and think, right, the beginning, it is Eve who says in faith, God has given me a son. With the Lord's help, I have gotten another because Cain killed Abel. That Eve was faithful in teaching her children just as much as Adam. And then the commandment given to us is not honor your father, but honor your mother and father. That there is no church, in fact, without the faith of mothers. Um, And this really is the calling of all women in the church. It's not just biological mothers that we're seeking. In Malachi, the last prophet, before Jesus, chapter 2, it says, And what was God seeking? He's rebuking them for many things. And he says, And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly children. That the point of reproducing... Having children is not just to have kids. It's not just to make more of you. It's to make godly offspring. And that is the key. And that comes with all kinds of difficulties. And it requires women who are loud. And that's something I feel like many of you, most of you, none of you would think I would ever say that a woman should be is loud. Uh, Because in scripture, women are told repeatedly, be quiet, learn in all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to hold authority. A woman should be quiet and gentle. And so what do I mean by loud? Well, in the context of The majority of those verses I just quoted, the context is the gathered body of the church. Um, And further on in Proverbs, uh, the context of when it tells women to be quiet is in the context of a nagging wife. And so there's a difference between being just loud and being godly and loud. And you see it in how the scriptures portray wisdom which is why I read the second half of chapter 1. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. She calls out above the noise, Don't do that. That's godly. That's godly. That's motherly. And it's not just belonging to biological children. 
It's to all women who want to raise up godly seed in our church to cry aloud, don't do that. And do this instead. These are the ways to life. These are the ways to death. If you go down this way, you will die. You will die. And if you go this way, you will live. And it will be good. And so one of the things that you need to hear is that there is no division of knowledge in Scripture between men and women. It's not as though men are supposed to be the smart ones and women are not supposed to know the things of God. Women are supposed to give themselves just as much to the knowledge of God as men. It's why I'm not opposed, and no one should be, to women attending Bible classes. They're supposed to know all the things so they can teach them to children and to those younger than them. Right? You should be loudly saying, don't do this, do do this, because I know God. That's your duty as a mother, to know God and to know him deeply, to know him fully, so that you can tell your children about him. And that is a very big job. It's not a small job, and it doesn't end at some point. Um, There's not a time stamp where you go, my job here is done. I want to encourage you. If you're a woman in the church, you are a mother in the church. And if you have something to say, say it. Mother the church. We need your help. We know this intuitively. We see it in society. That wherever one parent disappears, for whatever reason in a family, death, divorce, never getting married, whatever. There are two that are necessary. It's very difficult when there are not two. It's not just twice as hard. It's not as though if you leave off one, you have to make up for one. If one is gone, it's an it's a exceedingly more difficult job. It goes from sharing the load to almost as though the load has tripled on top of you. And so we need mothers and fathers in the church. We need them both. We need them equally. And we see that just looking at ourselves, knowing our own experiences, knowing how difficult it is if there are not a mother and a father in the home. If there are not mothers and fathers in the church... Painful for the church. Painful for the church. It's hard. And there's lots of things that you wouldn't think of as needing to be said as a mother, right? If you've been a parent, you know that many times in your head you think, why do I need to tell you this? This is like intuitively bad idea, right? So yesterday, just to give you an example, we were up in Bloomington after we visited Hope's Grave. We went to some friend's house. They have a creek in their backyard that's actually a sewer, like not a sewer creek, but a like wastewater creek, right? So the, the 
drains into their front yard in a grate and then comes out the backyard in a creek that goes into, you know, who knows where. So it's wastewater. It's stuff that's run off in a subdivision. It's full of oil and gasoline and pesticides and who knows what else. It's just run into a creek, right? And so Amos says to me yesterday, did you ever try the creek water? And in my head I think, oh no, oh no. No, I have not tried the creek water. Did you try the creek water? Oh, yeah, it's really good. And I have to tell him it's not good to drink creek water. And in my head, I think, why wouldn't you know it's not good to drink creek water? Well, you have to learn these things. You have to be taught these things. You have to go through life, make mistakes, do sinful things, and then be taught the right way and not the wrong way. And so there's lots of things that you as mothers in our church might think should be intuitive that we should just do them without having to be taught them. And in our upheaval in the last 20 to 30 years of society and in the church, the reality is, as mothers, you're going to have to get very concrete and simple with the coming generations. You're not going to be able to give advice you might give to a 40-year-old You're going to have to give advice you think, there's no way you could get this wrong. How did you mess this up? And it's things like, you're a boy. You're a girl. And that is good. And you think, that's so simple, Joe. Why would I need to say that? Well, let me just for a moment take you into our community. Ten minutes south, 15 minutes south. Ferdinand, Indiana. Ferdinand. 2,000 people. Fourth grade. This is the beginning. If you don't remember, in about fourth grade is when they begin to teach you about sex. Uh, just biology, right? Just, you're a boy, you're a girl, you're about to go through this thing called puberty. We want to at least set you up so that you're not surprised when you go home one night and things are starting to change, Right? This is normal education in a public school system. I went through it. I don't know how many of you went through it. I don't know when it got introduced into the public school system. But they teach you these things. So fourth graders in Ferdinand about a month ago, as part of their initial sex education, got this paper called Sex, Gender, and Society. Let's start with a few definitions. I'm just going to read this. Biological sex. Your biological sex is based on the genitals you're born with and the chromosomes you have. At birth, most people are either male or female. Now, there is something called intersex, where you're maybe born with two X chromosomes and a Y chromosome, and it's there are anomalies of birth. They are like very small, 0.001% of the population. So the idea of putting in most is a little bit ridiculous, but it could be forgiven. It could be forgiven because there are children who have to deal with much more difficult questions than most of us. But the vast majority of children should just be told, you're either male or female. But we'll forgive that one. Gender identity. This is about how you feel 
and how you think about yourself when it comes to gender. Everyone's gender identity is unique to them and should be respected. And right there we have, okay, most, and then all of a sudden we have leaped off the ship. Gender is biologically tied to you. You can have gender dysphoria where you think things that are not true about yourself, but the reality is God made us male and female. And if we want to be the other one, we need to be told we may not. And that it is good that God made you a girl or a boy. And you as mothers, though you think, I shouldn't have to tell children this, you're going to have to tell us this. It seems ridiculous, but you're actually going to have to do it. Because it gets worse. It gets worse. Gender roles and stereotyping. These gender roles are socially constructed. They relate to characteristics and behaviors that are typically thought to go alongside a person's biological sex. They can often stereotype boys and girls. You might have started to notice that people expect you to look, act, or behave in a certain way just because you're a boy. We call this stereotyping. You're going to have to say it's good to be a boy and that you should act like a boy and that that's not stereotyping. That's just godly. And it seems like you shouldn't have to say that. But I'm telling you, you will and you do. It gets worse. That's not even the worst yet. Again, this is fourth grade. Introduction to sex. Ferdinand, Indiana. 50 kids in a school class, in a school year. Literally one of the more conservative places in the world. It has a monastery with 30 nuns in town. I mean, you don't get more small town than Ferdinand. I grew up in a 6,000 person town. We drove tractors to school. It's happening there too. All right. Don't let society limit you. Your biological sex shouldn't define what you can or can't do. And stereotyping someone because of their gender or thinking that someone is better or worse because of their gender can be harmful. Remember, you don't have to let these norms limit you. Boys can be whoever they want to be. Stay strong and believe that you can achieve anything. And why do I bring this up in a sermon about motherhood on Mother's Day? Motherhood is always hard. It's always been hard. The curse made it hard. There are new challenges in motherhood. You would not have been labeled a bad mother 30 years ago to say to your son, stop acting like a girl. You would have been thought a good mother for saying that to your son. Am I right? Right? This is common. We, we know as a society there are boys and there are girls and they act differently. They are different. It's a visible difference, and it grows more visible as they age. And that they are different, and it is good that they are different. And if they think that they should be the other way, it is a difficult mother problem. You have to then convince them that this way is death, and this way is life. 
And that is, in fact, the work of mothering. All the time telling your children which way leads to death and which way leads to life. And this is a thing that would have been unthinkable to even have to tell you. You're going to have to be very concrete, but you will. Women and men are different. The second thing that women in our church, mothers in our church, you're going to have to to think about and just be very concrete about, because we've forgotten this, is that children, in fact, are a blessing, and they're good. They're to be desired, longed for, wanted by mothers and families and churches. And this, again, seems like a no-brainer. And there are lots of women who do long for children, but there are lots of women who do not. And they have to be told that it is bad as a, as a married person to not want a child, that that's a bad desire and it has to be killed. If you're married, there are three purposes of marriage in Scripture. One, fellowship. It's just good to be married, to have a friend to just get along with and to be liked and to like go on walks and talk about things and argue about things and to just be a friend. Right? God said, it's not good that man is alone. Fellowship. A godly seed. Right? Malachi 2.15. The purpose of marriage is to produce children, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, not with just a bunch of disobedient children, but with godly children. And the third purpose of marriage is to protect you from fornication. We see this in many places, but things like 1 Corinthians where Paul says, if you have a burning desire and you can't control it, you should get married. That it's a protection from sexual sin. Those are the three purposes in Scripture of marriage. We, almost all of us, intuitively get fellowship, right? Friendship, compatibility, mutual help kind of idea. Almost all of us get, intuitively, protection from just being a deviant sexually. Makes sense, right? We have someone to go home to. We don't need to mess around. But this third one has been under attack for a long time. That God has said there are three reasons to be married. Not two, three. And that third one is not optional. God doesn't say... If you are married, you may. He says, it is my desire that you do. And I have told you to be fruitful. And so you will need to remind us of this. And you'll need to remind us of this in lots of ways. And you're going to have to be creative and think about this. You know, one of the things that I've discovered in our years of marriage now and parenting is that it just requires a lot of thought all the time to figure out how to help your children in their various ways. This kid does this. Okay, how do we deal with that? This kid does this. All right, what do we do with this situation? Do we do this? Do we do that? Well, we tried that. It didn't work. Let's try this now. Let's do this. They didn't get it. Let's try this. Let's try it again. Let's go this way. Let's decide to do this. And all of these things, in just regular godliness, right? Regular, old, standard, 
Don't do bad things. Do good things. Be creative. But in these two specific things that are under very direct attack in our society and in our churches, you're going to have to spend time thinking about them. How can I convince someone that these are actually good things? And it may be through not having the good thing. Saying, look at how difficult it was to not have this and how much I suffered because of it. Don't think about these things. The opposite is suffering. Or to reveal your pain. It's not easy, fun to think about miscarriage. It's just not. Stillborns. It's not fun. But the pain of losing children is helpful to people to realize that they should want children. So, these two areas, you need to be loud. You need to be above the noise of the street. Because the noise in the street is overwhelming. It shuts out all kinds of things. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about um, when I went to college. And I was very naive when I went to college that there were Christians who claimed to be Christians who didn't believe the Bible. I had no idea that this existed. I grew up in a home where it was just like, yeah, we believe the Bible. And that's what Christians do. We believe the Bible. And I got to college and I met all these people who did all kinds of awful things. And I thought, I need to find some people who believe the Bible. So I took a Bible class at college called Jesus and the Gospels or something like that. And I thought, finally, people who know who Jesus is, I'm going to find some fellowship. And it turns out none of those people believe the Bible. That's the noise in the street. It's all over the place. Everywhere we go, everywhere we turn, these two areas, manhood, womanhood, children, are under attack everywhere. Everywhere. You have to be louder than everywhere. You know, as a mother in your home, one of the benefits of it is the everywhere is outside and you can speak directly to your children. Here is your home. This is your home if you're a woman. It is your family and your church and your children. We have shut out a bunch of the noise so you don't have to shout. But we do want you to talk and we do want you to tell and we do want you to say because we need you. We need you. The church needs you. Mothers are unbelievably important to tell their children go this way and not this way. Now there are lots of other things that mothers need to do in our church. Lots of other instruction to give. Lots of other godliness to teach. Lots of other sinfulness to weed out. Many of them though are not currently being touted in the streets. So You know, should you tell a kid not to do drugs? Yeah. They hear that everywhere. That's actually a common message that the whole of society is saying to our children. Don't do drugs. Should we say it in the church? Yes. Should you say it as a mother in the church? Yes. Shouldn't be your main sticking points. Because that's not an area where our church is suffering. 
And when I say our church, I mean locally, but broadly. In God's providence, if he causes us to grow and we have young couples in our church, these will be the things they need to hear. And they will need to hear them from more than just this guy in the pulpit on a Sunday morning every six months when I talk about them or every two months or however often it is. They'll need to hear it from more than me. They will need to hear it from mothers. And there's something different about a mother's way. Something different than a father. And it's difficult to be precise in how it is different. But Jesus uses a metaphor. uh, And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you beneath my wings as a hen gathers her children. That there is a, a softness inherent to a mother's love that men have to work at and most women have by nature of just their motherhood, a softness. And that is a difference that is important. I can say things to my children and say, don't do that. And Sarah says, don't do that differently. And sometimes they need the voice of their father and sometimes they need the voice of their mother. And I'm convinced almost exclusively that the voice the church needs to heal these sins particularly is the voice of mothers. Because many women today are in the street and they're saying, that's not true. That's not true. Follow me. I know better. And we need mothers to say, no, no, no. No, no, no. I know better. God knows better. Walk this way. In the book of Proverbs, there are two characters, wisdom and folly, basically. But there's also the wisdom, who we read about in chapter 1, who cries aloud in the street, and the seductress, who also cries aloud in the street. And the seductress is very good at what she does. She studies She thinks. She's careful. She says what people need to hear in order to follow her. She is a politician's politician, right? Give them the words they need to hear so that they will come with me. And sometimes it's very difficult to think, what do they mean by what she just said? What what does that mean? So, for instance, in, in... you know, I referenced the Roe v. Wade decision this morning in my prayer. Um, language matters. And the reason that the pro-abortion message has gotten so much traction in the last 50 years in the United States is because they know that language matters. They're seductress. And so they have globbed onto this word choice. Choice. And they have removed any kind of morality from the choice. They have just said choice because they know that that's appealing to us. We all want to have choices, right? Whether you're a steak and eggs kind of breakfast guy or you're a pancakes and bacon kind of breakfast guy, you want the option that morning to say, I'd like one or the other. Choice. It's American. It's like the most American thing. 
And they know it, and they use it, and they weaponize it, and they're seductive about it. You as mothers have to be wiser than them. You have to be wiser than the people who want your children. It's why your lives as mothers should be spent in pursuit of God and wisdom and knowing the truth as well as you can so that you can be wiser than the seductress. And it doesn't mean you have to figure out all her wily ways. It doesn't mean you have to know exactly why her language is bad. It doesn't mean anything like that because wisdom doesn't have to explain why folly is bad. If you read through Scripture, it tells us over and over that folly is bad and that it leads to bad things, but spends very little time telling you why. It just says it's bad. Wisdom does the same thing. It doesn't spend a whole lot of time giving you the great, you know, platonic, Aristotelian description of why good is good. God just says it is good, and it's good because I said it. And that is enough. And so as mothers in our church, and in our community, and in, Lord willing, our growing church, drink deeply at the fountain of God in his wisdom. And then mother us. And I, I am convinced that there are two main ways that you can help us in the future as we grow. And that is those two things, children and male and femaleness. And so drink deeply at those wells. Don't ignore me when I preach on them because you've heard it 50 times now. I'm not doing it just to prattle on, I promise. I'm trying to help you be prepared for when that young couple comes in our church and doesn't want to be married and doesn't want to have kids and doesn't think there's a big deal about this sexual revolution, and then I'm the only one up here saying anything. I need the mothers to say to them the same sorts of things because it's very, very different than the way I say it. And it's good that it's different. That's kind of the point. You are women. I am not. And that is good and right and true. But we need you. And we will need you more and more. And so in your own families, but especially in the church, be loud. Be loud. You're, you're our mothers. You have the right to override all the stuff and say, no, 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 no. I am your mother. Listen to me. I know what is good for you. And you're still acting like a fool. That's how I would say it, Right? It's not how you will say it because you're a woman and a mother. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. I do not say things like a mother says things. You do. And we need, we need you. So this is a, you know, a different sort of Mother's Day. You are mothers and it is very good. And here is a thing that you can help us with. Specifically in the church until you're gone. Look at us as your children. See us as your children. That includes me, right? 
Um, I was talking to Helma and Wilma, and there's reality, right? I am like every other man. I want a castle. I have a small home, right? I will probably never have a castle unless one of you wants to give me a castle. Uh, I was talking to Helma and Wilma probably two months ago, asking them about you know growing up and stuff, and they described their house, and I just told them, just remind me every now and then that you had a big family and you had a three-bedroom house and that it was okay. Because even though I know it's okay, I don't believe it's okay a lot of times. I think, well, you know, I probably need a six-bedroom house. I got five kids, probably need a big one. And I just need a mother to say, it's okay. We, we had three bedrooms and a whole bunch of kids and we all turned out just fine. That's mothering. And they just did that. It was just what they said. And it helped me. Because I need mothers too. I need mothers. All of us need mothers. You are essential. Essential. To the happiness and health of our church. So don't neglect what you have to give us. Don't think that We've heard it 50 times. Why should I say it again? They never listen to me. That's literally what we are as your children. Keep saying it. Keep telling us. And in those two areas that you think, why would I have to talk about this? Let me encourage you. We need you now more than ever. We need you now more than ever. To be simple and direct for their children and our children's children. They're getting it everywhere. Fourth grade. Fourth grade, they're told, boys and girls, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. And you need to say, oh, it does matter. Johnny, you're a boy. Sally, you're a girl. God made you that way, and it's good. It's good. So, happy Mother's Day. Enjoy the day. Whether you have biological children or not, you're a mother in this church. And that is a good thing. And we're very glad you're here. Very glad. Let's pray and then we will sing. Wait, communion. Man, it's right in front of me and I forget. Let's take communion. So, one of the things that uh, communion meal is, is a gathering of family, right? And the goal of a meal is different depending on the family situation, right? So, 